how are you guys doing? Good. We're so good. We love winter camp. Hey, welcome uh, to Hume Winter. My name is Aaron uh, or Chip. Either one is fine. I will answer uh, to either. Um, oh, hi. How's, how's it going? I don't know who said that, but hello. Nice to meet you all. Um, I'm, I'm stoked to be here with you guys this weekend. I I love Hume. I love this place. I actually spent about four years uh, living up here. I ran Wagon Train, which is our elementary camp. Has anyone here been to Wagon Train? Where, where are you at? Come on, Wagon Train. Guys, make some noise for Wagon Train. What are you doing? What is, what is this hand raising that you're doing? I guess I raised mine, but I expected at least some woos for the train for the best camp on the hill. Winter camp's great, too. Um, but... Uh, I lived up here for, for four years. I, I ran Wagon Train and... Uh, and I did that because I love camp. I love what, what happens in this place. I love the way that, that God moves when we get to, to get away from our normal, everyday lives, when we get to get away from all of the distractions, we get to get away from all of the Wi-Fi, and it is an awesome, awesome time just to spend time fellowshipping with each other and sitting under the teaching of God's word for, for days together. And so um, I'm so excited that I get to do that with you this weekend. A little bit about myself um, but before we jump into to the word this evening, I am uh, I'm a pastor down at a church in Kingsburg. Um, uh, Kingsburg got more cheers than Wagon Train, which is crazy because they're about the same amount of people in both places. Um, but uh, I, I am a pastor at a church down in Kingsburg. Um, I grew up in Bakersfield. There we go. There we go. Yes. Um, and uh, I, uh, I'm up here this weekend with, with my family. So my wife and my two boys, my two sons, are, are with me. My boys are five and two. Um, one of them's cute. I'll let you decide which one it is. And uh, no, no, they're both cute. They're both cute. One's cuter than the other. Anyway, um, no, but... but but they'll be around. If you guys see us, feel free to come say hi. Uh, they may just love you and give you hugs or whatever, or they may scream and run away. It's really a 50-50 shot. Uh, I, they're two years old and five-year-olds, or a two-year-old and a five-year-old, so there's no telling what they're going to do. Um, all right, so this weekend, we're going to be jumping into the Word of God together, and we're going to be doing that in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have Bibles, you want to open them up, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be starting in verse 17. So over the next four sessions we have together, over these next three days, we're going to be going from Ephesians 4, verse 17, all the way to verse 32. So from verse 17 to verse 32, we're going to cover all of that ground. But tonight, we're going to get started. We're going to get off to a great start, and we're going to get through about a half of a verse, okay? So we're going to get through all those verses in the next few days, but tonight we're just going to get through a half of a verse in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. So what we see... In verses 17 through 32 is we see some instruction. We see some instruction. There's some uh, direction in how we are to live our lives. In fact, there's some really um, broadly reaching instruction. There's, there's some things that we're told to do, ways that we're told to live, that will impact every area of our lives. But there's a question 
You see, when someone comes to you and gives you some instruction, when someone comes to you and tells you to do something, there's a question that you should always ask. If someone comes to you and asks you to do something or tells you to do something, and that question is, says who? All right? So picture this, right? You're sitting at home. You're, uh, I don't know, playing video games or doing whatever it is that you do. You're sitting on the couch, hanging out, watching Netflix, whatever, and... Your brother or your sister comes up to you and says, hey, take out the trash. How do you respond? No. You know, I'm not going to listen to you. But, but what if your brother or sister comes to you and says, hey, mom said to take out the trash. Now, now here's the thing. For some of you, you're like, I still say no. Well, that's a problem. We can, we're going to deal with that tomorrow when we talk about sin. But... But for many of us, right, that changes the way that we respond. Why? Because now the instruction is coming from someone else. The instruction is not coming from our brother. The instruction is not coming from our sister. It's coming from our mom. It's coming from our dad. It's coming from someone who has authority to tell us what to do. And so we listen, we hear it differently. Well, the instructions that we're going to go over over the next few days, these directions on how to live They're coming from a source that has great authority. So let's start in verse 17, and let's see a little bit about that source. Says who? Let's ask that question, all right? So in Ephesians 4, 17, it says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. We'll get to what it's talking about with the Gentiles, the futility of their minds, weird words there, but we, we'll talk about them. But tonight, we're just going to look at that first part of that verse. This I say and testify in the Lord. So before he gives us the instructions on how to live, he starts with this. This I say and testify in the Lord. Who's the I talking here? Well, it's the writer of this book, The book of Ephesians, it's a letter sent to a church in a place called Ephesus, and it's written by this guy named Paul. Who's Paul? Well, he's a guy who lived about 2,000 years ago who wrote a good portion of the Bible, but why do I care what Paul tells me about how I should live? Says who? Who are you to tell me how to live, Paul? Well, Paul's not just saying it on his own. Now, if Paul was saying it on his own, we would probably be wise to listen because he's a, he's a wise man, but he's not saying it on his own. He's not telling us on his own authority because what else did he say? He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord. This I say and testify in the Lord. These instructions that I'm about to give you, these, these directions that I'm about to share in these next few verses, they are not from me, but they're from who? The Lord. They're from the Lord. They're not from me. They're not from Paul. They're from who? From the Lord. They're from God. And so then, what we have to ask is who is God? Right? If if all of this instruction, instruction that is to change the very way that we live, if it's coming from God and it's on the basis of God's authority, then we need to ask the question, well, who is God? Who is God and why does he get to to tell me what to do? Who is God and why should I listen to his words? Who is God and why should I respect his authority? And for that answer, I want us to turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64, and we're going to look at verse 8. 
in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. Now, if we want to answer the question, who is God, what we could do and what we should do if we want to answer that question most accurately is we should spend an entire lifetime studying what this book says about who God is, right? That's going to get us the correct and accurate answer about who God is and why we should listen to him. But we don't have time for that, not tonight at least, um, although I do hope that we will devote our lives to that study. But tonight we're going to look at just one verse because in that one verse we're going to see big truths about who God is and big truths about who we are. So, in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. Isaiah 64, 8 says this, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are the work of your hand. I'll read it again. Now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are the work of your hand. So in that one verse, we get three key truths that we're going to look at tonight. Three key truths. Two of them are about who God is, and one of them is about who we are in relationship to him. Two truths about who God is, one about who we are in relationship to him. So the first big truth that we see in this verse about who God is is simply this. God is the potter. God is the potter. God is the craftsman. Right? We saw it in that video as it, as it showed this, this craftsman, this maker, this, this workman making the, these clay pots, right? And that's the exact picture that Isaiah is using here to talk about God. He is the potter. What does it mean that God is the potter? What, what truths about God are summed up in that picture of God as a potter? Well, the first is simply this. God is the potter. He is the maker. That means that everything that exists was made by him. That everything that exists was made by him. In Genesis 1.1, the first verse of the Bible, what does it say? It says, in the beginning... God did what? Created the heavens and the earth. God created, God made the heavens and the earth. In John, the book of John, chapter 1, verse 3, it says that everything that is made was made through him, and without him, not anything that was made was made. It says that everything that was made was made through him, and without him, not anything in existence was made. So when we talk about God as the potter, we're talking about the fact that God is the creator. That everything in existence, from the biggest to the smallest, the mountain that we're on right now, the trees that are around us, right, the, the deer and the bears and the everything else that's out in those woods, the, the oceans, the skies, the galaxies, the nebulas, from the biggest down to the smallest, right down to the molecules, to the atoms, the quark, everything that exists was made by God. Who's giving us this instruction that we see in Ephesians chapter 4? It is God, the maker, the creator of absolutely everything that exists. So God as the potter tells us that everything was made by him, and because everything was made by him, everything that exists belongs to him. 
In the book of Psalm, in Psalm 24, 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Another way to say that, some of your translations might say this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. See, God being, being the potter, it means that he made everything, but it also means that he owns everything. How many of you guys in here are, are makers? How many of you guys make things? Maybe, um, I don't know, maybe you make food, maybe you make art, maybe you make stories, maybe you make... Um, crafts, maybe you like to knit, a lot of you, right? I, I, I do that, I, I have a little hobby. I actually take Bibles and I rebind them. So I made this Bible right here. Um, I made the, the leather cover for it. Uh, I did some, some things to fancy it up and I, I made this Bible, right? And here's the thing, when I make something, I own it. When I make it, I own it. It's mine. I made it. No one has a right to this Bible but me. I bought the, the, the materials, and I fashioned it together, and I made it. It's mine. In the same way, God made everything, and so it belongs to him. When we say that God is the potter, we mean that, that yes, everything was made by him, but also that everything belongs to him. And even beyond that, this idea of God as the potter, it shows us that everything that God made, he made for a purpose. That everything he made, he made for a purpose. In Romans chapter 11, verse 36, it says this, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. All things are from him, they're made by him, they're made through him by his power, but they're also to him, to his glory. You see, everything that God made, he made for a purpose. From the mountains, to the trees, to the stars, to the sky, to the oceans, to the squirrels, to the acorns, to the grass, all of it, God made all of it for a purpose. Because a potter makes a pot for a purpose. Now, a potter might make many kinds of different pots for many kinds of different uses, right? A potter might, might make a pot for spitting into. A potter might make a pot for, for growing plants. A potter might make a pot for watering plants. A, a, a potter might make a pot for, for heating things up. A potter might make a pot for many different uses, but ultimately all of those, regardless of the use of that pot, it serves the potter's purpose. For most potters, for most makers, what's that purpose? It's, it's to make money. Maybe it's to express themselves, to, to, to show their arts. But ultimately, everything they make, they make for a purpose. And so God is the potter. It shows us that he created everything. It shows us that everything belongs to him and that everything was made for his purpose. And what is that purpose? Why did God make the trees? Why did God make the stars? Why did God make the skies, the squirrels, the acorns, the grass? Why did God make all of those things? Well, Scripture tells us time and time again that the purpose for which God created all things is to give himself glory. It's to bring him glory. We see in Romans chapter 1, it says that 
He has been clearly known since the foundations of the earth through the things that he made. That because he is the one who made everything, everything points to him. All of creation, everything around us tells us about the the power. It tells us about, about the divine nature and the eternal power of God. Everything around us points towards how big and beautiful and majestic and glorious and wonderful and awe inspiring God is. Everything does that because that is the purpose for which everything was created. God is the potter, and he made everything for himself, for a purpose, and that purpose is to bring glory and honor and fame to his own name. That's who God is as the potter, the creator of everything, the owner of everything, who made everything for the purpose of bringing glory to himself. That's who God is. But... There's also a truth in this verse about who we are, right? So it says that God is the potter, but back in Isaiah 64, 8, it says, you are our father, we are the clay, you are our potter, we are the work of your hand. So God is the potter, the creator of all things, the owner of all things, all things are made to his glory, for his glory, But it says also about us that we are the clay. That he is the potter and that we are the clay. We are the works of his hands. Well, if God being the potter means that he made everything and he owns everything and that everything has the purpose of bringing him glory, then us being the clay means simply that he made us, that he rules over us, And that our purpose is to bring him glory. Only here's the thing. It doesn't just say that we're the clay. It says that we're the work of his hands. You see, something the scripture tells us over and over again is that we are unique. We're special amongst creation. You see, God made everything in existence with the very power of his voice. We see that in the opening chapters of Genesis, that God says, let there be light. And what happens? There's light. God says, let there be land, and there's land. He says, let there be animals. There are animals, plants, and there are plants. God creates everything that exists with just the power of his voice. But then, at the end of that account of creation, the end of Genesis chapter 1, going into Genesis chapter 2, we see that God makes people. And there are a few very unique things about the way that God makes people. He made everything that there is in all of creation with just the power of his voice. But he made people different. If we look at Genesis chapter 2, I know we're turning all over the place. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, listen to how God makes mankind. It says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God made the mountains by the power of his voice. He made the stars in the sky by the power of his voice, the animals, the birds, the trees, all of it by the power of his voice, and all of it for the purpose of pointing to his power. 
But then God made people special. We are the clay. We are the works of his hands. To make people, God took the dust of the ground. He formed it into Adam, and he breathed his own breath of life into Adam. And he became a living creature. He made Eve as well with his hands and with his breath. God made people, men and women, like you and me, he made us special. He made us different from the rest of creation. Everything else he spoke into existence, but people were made by his hands. So God made everything, but we were made specially. In a similar way, everything belongs to God, but we belong to God specially. What do I mean by that? Well, often when someone makes something, they'll put what's called a maker's mark on it, right? If you go and you you find a piece of of hand-thrown pottery, you, you find a piece of pottery that was made by hand, not like it was like chucked at you, but like that was made by hand, and you look on the bottom of that vase or that pot, what you'll often find is a little symbol. Maybe it's, it's an initial. Maybe it's a little logo. And what that is is that's the maker's mark. That's the person who has is, who is made that piece, marking it and saying, this is mine. I made this. I made this with the work of my hands. I put my blood, sweat, and tears in this. I sweated over this. I cared for this. I made it lovingly and intentionally and diligently. On this Bible, right here at the bottom, you guys can't see it, but it says, Chip's Bibles, because I made this. I made it, and so I put my mark on it, because I made it, and I said, this is very good. I'm proud of what this is, and so I want to stamp my name, my image on this thing, right? So God owns everything because the earth is his and the fullness thereof, but people are distinctly God's because people are the only thing in all of creation that are made in God's image. If we look back here at Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made everything, but he made people special. He made us with his hands. He made people distinct and different. And one of the chief ways that he made us different from the rest of creation is he made us in his image. He made us to carry his image through the world, to represent him through the world We belong to him in a special way. But even beyond that, God made us for a special use, a special purpose. So he said that God, as the potter, means that that everything was made by him, that everything belongs to him, and that everything was made for his purpose. But us being the clay, being the work of his hands, means that we were made specially by him that we belong specially to him, and that we were made for special purpose. Now, ultimately, our purpose is the same as everything else in all creation. The trees, the mountains, the stars, the sky, all of them point to God and give him glory. 
That's the purpose they were created for, and that's the purpose you were created for, and the purpose that I was created for as well. We were created for the purpose of giving him glory. Only because we are made specially by God, because we are made in the image of God, we give God glory in a special way. See, the the stars in the sky give God glory by their vastness and by their beauty. The mountains give God glory by by their size, by their splendor. Right? The, the, The microbiology of a cell gives God glory by the intricate nature of even the smallest things in his creation. It shows his attention to detail. It shows his brilliance. These things give God glory simply by existing, but you and I, we give God glory not just by existing, not just by by our beauty or power or whatever, but we give God glory through relationship with him. We were made specially to give God glory by knowing him, by loving him, by serving him, and by worshiping him. And ultimately, Scripture tells us that all of us will do that. The book of Philippians says this in Philippians 2.10. says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, ultimately, we're all made to know and to love and to serve God That is our purpose. That is our reason for being. And whether we do it now or we do it later, we will all worship God. The difference, the difference is eternal destiny. The difference is whether we do so proclaiming that Jesus is Lord because he has saved us or proclaiming that Jesus is Lord because we face judgment before him. But ultimately, we will all give God glory. Because that's the purpose for which we were created. God is the potter. He made everything. He owns everything. And everything was made for his purpose. We are the clay, specially made by him. Belonging to him, specially made in his image. And made for the special purpose of giving him glory, but not just like everything else. Giving him glory through knowing him, through loving him, through serving him, and ultimately through worshiping him. But see, that's not all that Isaiah chapter 64 tells us. That's not all that Isaiah 64, 8 says about who God is and about who we are. It says that we are the clay, he is the potter, we are the work of his hand, but at the very beginning of the verse, it says something else. It says, O Lord, you are our Father. So when we ask this question, who is giving us this instruction? The instruction in Ephesians chapter 4, who who is the one telling us to do this? Who is this God who's telling me how to live my life? Well, he's the creator, owner, ruler of everything, who made everything for a purpose. He's the one who made you. He's the one who rules over you. And he is the one for whose glory you are created. But that's not all he is. Because he's also a father to his people. He's a father to his people. 
See, God didn't just make us and then set us on the shelf. He didn't just make this piece of pottery and set us on the shelf, but he knit us together. Scripture says that he knit you together in your mother's womb, that he knows everything there is to know about you. He knows your deepest thoughts. He knows the things about you that no one else knows. He knows your hopes, your dreams, your fears. He knows all of it. He searches the very depths of your soul. He knows everything that there is to know about you. And he loves you. He's a father to his people and that he knows us deeply and he cares for us. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is is teaching um, his Sermon on the Mount. And he says that our Father who's in heaven knows what we need before we even ask it. How does he do that? Because he knows us deeply. He's not just someone who made us and then put us on the shelf for display, but he is a father, a good father, who knows his children deeply. And because of that, his instruction, his direction, the things that he tells us to do, they are for our good, even when we don't see it. You see, as we go through Ephesians 4, there might be things in there that some of you don't like. There might be instructions that God gives in his word that that don't sit well with you. You don't agree with them. You don't like them. You really like doing that thing that he's telling you to stop doing. But your creator, he knows you, and he loves you. And so as he gives you instruction, that instruction is for your good, even when you don't see it. Because that's what a good father does. I told you guys I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. They're both boys. And what that means is that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I'm constantly trying to keep them from accidentally killing themselves, okay? Because they climb things, they jump off things, they get into things, they go under things, they hit each other with things. And they're also really klutzy, right? They watch like Power Rangers and they think they can do all this like cool karate stuff, but also one of them can barely walk, all right? So climb up on the kitchen counter and try to do karate and I'm like, dude, you can't walk on the floor, get off of the kitchen counter. But when my two-year-old gets up on the kitchen counter and starts doing karate moves because he thinks he's a Power Ranger, and I say, no, you can't be on the counter doing karate because you're going to die, guess what? He doesn't like my instruction. I take him down, and he screams, and he cries. But my instruction is for his good because I know him better than he knows himself because I know that he's not actually a Power Ranger. And he doesn't know that. But I know him better than he knows himself, and I love him, and I desire what's good for him. And what's good for him is not falling five feet and smacking his head on a tile floor. That's not what's best for him in that moment. And so I give him instruction because I love him and I care for him. And because I have authority over him. And so I tell him, no, you can't be on the counter right now. You need to be on the floor. You can do your karate down there, all right? You can fight Zordon on the floor. I don't know if you fight Zordon or if he's a good guy, but that sounds like a good bad guy name. But someone said he's a bad guy. Thank you. Um, I don't think you're right. Anyway, 
But here's the thing, you guys. Here's who that God who is giving us instruction in Ephesians chapter 4 is. He is our creator. He's the one who made us. He's the one who designed us for a purpose. And he's the one who has authority over us. He made us. He designed us for purpose. He has authority over us. He knows us and he desires our good. And so when he gives us instruction, we should listen. When he tells us what to do, we should obey. When he tells us this is bad for you, this is not the way to live the life that you were made to live and called to live, we should listen, even when we don't want to. Even when we want to do our karate moves on the counter, we need to listen because the God who made us, who knows us, who loves us, who is our loving Father, he tells us how we should live. You know, it's been said that the most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think of God. And tonight I want to leave you with this question. What comes to your mind when you think of God. When you think of God, when you think of the God who gives commands in Scripture, when you think of Him, what comes to your mind? Do you think of Him as a killjoy? As someone who comes along and tells you to stop doing all the things that you like to do that you think are fun? Do you think of Him as a God who is distant, who is far off, who doesn't know you, doesn't know your struggles, doesn't know your pain, doesn't care about what's going on in your life? Do you think of him as weak, as a God who is not capable of doing the things that need to be done, of a God who's not capable of protecting you, of caring for you, of saving you? Do you think of him as mean, as a God who sits up there just waiting for you to mess up so that he can pour out judgment on you? Or, when you think of God, do you think of a God who is loving, who cares for you, who desires your good, a God who is powerful, who created everything with the very power of his voice? And as it says in Isaiah chapter 6, when he opens his mouth, the very foundations of heaven shake. Do you think of a God who is close, who is close at hand, who is nearby, who knows everything about you, who knows what you need before you even open your mouth, who knows your deepest struggles, your deepest pains, your deepest sorrows, your, your deepest cries of your heart? Do you think of a God who desires your good? What comes to mind when you think of God? Is it the God that is described in Scripture? The God who is your potter, who made you on purpose, for a purpose. The God who is the father to his children, who knows you, who loves you, who cares for you, who desires your good. Does your idea of God line up with who God has shown himself to be in this book? Because if we go throughout this weekend and we talk about the instruction that he gives, it's important to realize who's saying it. 
is the God of the Bible, the God who is real, who is true, who is living, who is active, who's close at hand, who's the creator and ruler of everything, and who desires the good of his people and works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his service. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you are a God who loves us. God, that, that you created everything that, that there is, that, that you show your incredible power, your infinite nature, God, you show it in all of creation. God, you show it most especially in us, in people designed in your image for your glory. Father, I pray this weekend as we open up your word, as we see how you have instructed us to live, God, I pray that we see that all in light of who you are, in light of your power, in light of your love, in light of the fact that you are close to us, that you know what we need before we even ask it, that you are merciful, gracious, loving, majestic, powerful, and holy. God, may we see your commandments in light of you, that we may follow, that we may obey, that we may fulfill the purpose that you've given us of bringing you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.